Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio, or in this case, Small Hobby Radio. Uh, you know, if you haven't already seen the title, you know, I want to start off by, you know, saying that uh, this was something kind of in the making, and I'm so happy that we're able to uh, do this episode. But we are going to be talking with our special guest, Duncan Rhodes. Thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. Nice to talk to you guys. It's um, quite strange to hear you talking back to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as always with our Sunday shows, uh, I have on with me uh, my co-host, Brett. Uh, thank you for being on as well. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. Um, I'm really excited to do this one. It's, it's always fun when we break away from some of the more serious game-related content and get to talk about the my favorite side of the game, which is the hobby side, and I don't think we could have a better guest for that, right? Oh, you. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, it's been a while since we did a hobby show, and I've been kind of itching to get uh, throw one into the mix. Uh, but before we uh, jump into everything, I do want to throw this in the beginning because I don't know why I'm paranoid. I'm going to forget it at the end. Uh, we did kickstart. Uh, as a group for Small Council Radio and get the, uh, I apologize, what's the name of the, the big uh, um, pledge? Oh, the Sir Coat Soaps, was that what you're thinking of? The, the Grandmaster. The Grandmaster, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah so the big one. Small Council, <laughs> yeah. Um, so 60 bottles plus all the stretch goals. Uh, we... Uh, as Small Council Radio backed that one, and we will be giving uh, – we're probably going to split it up into two 30-bottle uh, groups and give it away uh, to some of our listeners uh, at a later point, once it gets a little closer to uh, when the paints are coming out. Uh, mm. But just want to mention that so everyone stay tuned for how you can win those, uh, and we can kind of jump into this episode. Uh, Brett, why don't you uh, take us away on this one? Sure. I think uh, I think we'll just start like we normally start. Um, I want uh, Duncan here to tell us exactly how you got into wargaming in general, and then after you speak generally about what got you into it, you can tell us how you transitioned into this awesome game, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. Uh, well, I think I'm like uh, I'm like most people, where I just sort of encountered wargaming out in the wild, um, and for most of us, that's through Games Workshop games mostly, because you know they've got stores all over the place and um, warhammers all around. Um, I encountered it in a little model shop because at the time I, I've always been into making things like you know model kits, model airplanes, and stuff, and um, and stuff like Lego and whatever. You know, um, so I was in a model shop with my dad looking at airplanes and stuff, and then I saw. Um, some space marines and i thought they were the coolest thing i'd ever seen and the idea of these you know these models i've been making that there's a game that you can then play with them was like a completely revolutionary concept to me and um so the next week he took me to the local shop and i bought some models and i've kind of been into the hobby from to some extent ever since that point on um and there's always something new to explore and, and new to try out so we need to play and um it's quite a, as I'm sure you'll all agree, it's quite an absorbing hobby that ends up becoming a very personal thing to you because of how you're making the individual force to be like an expression of yourself in a way. And you end up meeting people who um, become lifelong friends through it. So um, without ever realizing it, it just sort of became my hobby and then uh, kind of became my career. 
I uh, I just kept on painting miniatures and stuff. Then I had like my exams, so I stepped back a little bit from it a bit. Then after all that was done, I kind of got back into it. And I needed a summer job, so I went to my local shop. And just that, uh, I was essentially rediscovering uh, wargaming because I'd right after getting my results for my exams, which would get me into university, um, I went to see Terminator 3 because this was the time where that came out in the cinema. My friend and I went to see it. And we were like, yeah, we're in university. Woo, let's watch the film. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I remember Necrons from Warhammer 40,000. I wonder if they've changed. And so I went into the local shop and they had changed. And I just asked about a summer job and I got it. Um, and then I just never went to university. I just stayed working in the war games industry. And it's just sort of taken off from there. And I always find it weird to think back to it that um, you don't know it at the time. And like for younger listeners, it like, I don't suppose you'll quite have encountered this sort of thing yet, but you will. Just small decisions of just happenstance suddenly determine massive future events during the course of your life. And you got, at the time, you've got no possible way of knowing. Um, like if I had not gone to see the film, I might have ended up where I am now. So it's, it's quite odd how it all uh, pans out. But, yeah, I ended up working in retail for a while. Um, then I um, sort of left it a little bit. Then in the studio, uh, Games Workshop, and... I then found my way into their TV departments because when I was working on things, my job in Games Workshop Studio was to make um, content for magazines and books and things. And every project I'd work on would involve me making a painting guide as to how I painted that particular force. So I've always been involved in making guides and things. And that's what I always enjoyed most in retail was showing people how to do stuff. Um, So when the TV thing came along, it was a very natural fit for me. So... I, uh, I I kind of leapt right into it, and the guy I ended up working with, this fellow called Roger, um, he was the one running the, or starting out with the TV studio, and he had these ideas for these painting videos because he thought it would be the best way to show actually how to do stuff. Um, so uh, I, uh, I I hit off with him straight away. The two of us had very similar ideas where he wanted to show the miniature being um, being created, you know, how it all looks all the way through, and being very raw and real about how it all looks as it's coming together. Um, and it all just kind of went further and further from there. And so uh, it's thanks to that, that I guess I find myself in the quite strange position that I am now, where I paint miniatures for a living and tell people how to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's worth mentioning um, probably all of our listeners, if not all of them, at least most of them at some point have watched some of your tutorial videos. So this is kind of a – this is kind of a um, – a moment where we're in a little bit of awe, you know, talking to you. But in, in all reality, I, I want to thank you, and I'm sure our listeners do as well, for, for doing these videos and, and coming, coming on this idea that you came up with because it, you have helped so many people, and you've probably emboldened many people who didn't even really want to do the hobby aspect to actually get into it and try. Um, those videos are just so well put together, and I know – I've learned quite a few tips from them as well. So we, we really appreciate what you do. Oh, man, I, I, don't, I never quite know how to um, process stuff like that because it, you know, I, I just want people to help um, to enjoy their hobby, basically. And I've encountered a lot of um, people during my time in, in the industry who um, are nervous about showing their miniatures because they might be embarrassed about them or you know they're too scared to try it because they might have bought an expensive model and they don't want to mess it up and things and so i've always just wanted to help them enjoy it in the same way that i do where you feel that confidence of knowing okay so i can work out what to do and do that um 
So it's always been a revolved around that. And the like, like we were saying there, you know, like um, uh, it, it's it's strange to process it because I just like to concentrate on doing what I do and um, people recognizing me or anything like that. That's not anything really about what I'm about. Um, to the point I find it weird these days that the um, so Roger and I are still together doing this company that we got now where we're making these videos, and it's all named after me. And I didn't want that. I wanted a different name. Um, but Roger argued that people look for my name when they're looking for these sorts of videos, so it, it kind of makes sense in that way. But it, it's all very um, it's all very odd and feels like it's sort of just run off out of my control in a way. But it's all nice because it means that people are getting the um, the excitement to do kind of, you know, what I want to promote and they're, they're having a update to the miniatures and they're enjoying it and they get results they like. So that's the, um, the most special thing. And I guess um, thank you to all of the people out there who have followed us on this trail because you allow Roger and me to feed our families. So <laughs> um, and it was a Kickstarter as well. The sort of things that we were seeing people saying were so incredibly touching. Um and just like it, it's hard to get your head around when you see someone like we see some people discussing whether to back the Kickstarter or not. Um, and then someone says you should do it because um, it's Duncan and he taught me how to paint and he wouldn't put his name on something so par. And it's like that's, that that really hits in the feels. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it, it gets quite emotional, really. Um, and, uh, and and as well, seeing people in the industry talking in this way. Um, I saw Michael Chanel, he, he posted um about it and uh that was yeah it was really touching to see so uh, i can't wait for people to try the paints out we've been working so hard on them and um they're really cool they're really fun i've been using them myself just uh, just this weekend in fact so yeah i'm really excited for them to get out there and i was uh i was gonna ask so what uh what would you say is like um one of the strong uh cases for uh, using this line of paints because I know a lot of people can be pretty entrenched in you know the the paint that they use and some people will just go out of their way to only use a certain brand uh, even if that brand doesn't have what might be the best color option um, could you tell us kind of a little bit about uh, you know the way I guess these these paints will kind of operate or be applied? Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't want to compare them directly to any one particular brand. Um, what I will say is if you're used to how we paint stuff in our videos, like the general way methods we approach in doing things, these paints are designed very much to do that kind of thing. And they address um, kind of gaps that I've seen over the years in the market for how some of these paints will work. So, um, for example, one of the colors that we're particularly proud of is called emerald green, which is an emerald green. Um, and this comes about because of colors like, um, if people are familiar with the Games Workshop line, if you think of the color Warpstone Glow, and you ever try to use it to get smooth finish with it, it's a very thin color. And whilst you can do it, it takes many, 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 many coats of doing this kind of thing. And it's easy to make it all lumpy and stuff. So it, what we've done is been kind of analyzing behaviors of what we want paints to do. And we've made a color, it's not exactly the same shade, but it's like, that sort of bright, vibrant green. And we've particularly made sure that it's got really good coverage and it flows really smoothly and it thins down. So all the ways that you see in the videos of me applying these kind of paints, they're designed specifically for that kind of thing. Um, they're also designed so that, um, so a lot of our stuff is people who are new to the hobby who are getting into it. And so we're all about accessibility. 
And often we find people struggle to work out what kind of colors they should use to get these kind of results pieced together. So what we decided to do was to set it up with a triad system. So for each kind of color you can think of, there's three colors designed for it. So red, for example, right? So we've got a dark red, a medium, and a light red. Um, so the intent is that if you don't know what to do, but you understand that what you need is to establish some kind of mid-tone and you want to highlight it, you can grab this triad, and this way you're going to be able to work out what your mid-tone is going to be by picking the relevant one, and then you kind of go one light to be the highlight. Now, if you want the really bright one to be your mid-tone, then you sort of skip to what paint elsewhere in the range, which is sort of like acquired knowledge as you go further on, so an orange, for example. But it's intended to be really easy to understand and accessible right from the start. So when you're painting miniatures the first time, you know how these tribes work. And as you um, develop it a little bit more and you kind of go past just using the washers for things, um, you can then end up starting to use these triads for getting nice smooth gradients on things like fabric. So for example, I've been painting some yellow fabrics. And so our three yellows are designed so that you use like um, a mid-tone to block it all in, you wash, and then you start to highlight your details. With the fabric, you re-establish the mid-tone, then you use the dark one for some smooth shading, so you get a smooth gradient going to the darkest areas, then you use the lighter color for the highlight. So it's very easy to create that transition. So that's what I think um, makes them stand out, is this um, kind of acquired knowledge that we've had over the years of how people get into this thing and presenting it so that it helps with that understanding. Um, beyond that, the paints are just really wonderful paints to use. Um, they're just really, really nice. Like I said, I don't want to compare them to any one particular brand, in, but you'll find that they, they cover very well. They thin down really nicely. Um, they're not gel-like or anything like that. They're very smooth. They've got excellent coverage. They, um, yeah, they're, they're all just really enjoyable to use. But you're right that people often get quite trial about particular brands, but I've found that... Um, so I've, over the years, I've tended to stick towards Games Workshop paints because of where I used to work. Um, and when I used to be over at shows like Adepticon and things, I'd enjoy chatting with the audience just to get like a, a, a feel of what it's like outside in the real world versus how it is in our little kind of studio back where we were. And people mix and match ranges all over the place. So what I'm confident people will find with this range is that it's all a great selection of paints, but there's going to be particular ones in there that they really like for the way that they paint stuff, and they're going to start picking those out. And it's quite exciting because after a while, we are to see the figures as to what paints are the more popular ones, and so we'll see how people are using them in amongst everything else. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, the more, you know, the more the better, you know, especially for those out there that mix and match you know you can never really go wrong with having more lines of paint out there it's just more options and uh mm -hmm. more things to choose from um i was going to uh also mention you know i thought it was cool that you added in your kickstarter to provide a, a color wheel um for mm -hmm. those out there that paint um it's not like it's not absolutely necessary to have a color wheel because um, sometimes you just, you know, you want to paint your mini the way you want to paint it. But for a lot out there that are, you know, can be quite, un, you know, indecisive on what you want to paint, a color wheel is an amazing tool. Uh, I highly recommend uh, everyone get one. Um, it will really help make your miniatures pop if you can use some of those complementary colors in there and, you know, just choose things that really go well if you're ever in that situation that, uh you know, you're not really sure what you want to paint a certain thing on a model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a really useful, handy tool just to fall back if you're making your own color scheme and you go, all right, for my main color, 
what's going to work with this? And you can just look at it and you'll be able to see what kind of things will work well with what you're doing. So, yeah, it's really great for working out these schemes. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny you guys mentioned the color wheel because I've been painting since I was around 13, well, painting miniatures anyway. So this, for me, because I'm an, I'm an old dude, this goes back to like 98 was when I really started to paint war mini miniatures. So mm -hmm. I've, I've become pretty decent at painting, but it wasn't until like the last four years or so when I really started paying attention to some of these tutorials and the color wheel that, that uh, my painting really got better. My techniques were okay. I could put, you know, the colors on there and make it look good, but I was so bad at matching colors. Mm -hmm. So bad at it until I explored some of these things. So that is a really nice little subtle bit that comes with this Kickstarter that, that actually is a big help because you're absolutely right. There's, there's some people, I mean, God love us like me. We just, if you don't get fashion, you don't get why certain colors work with certain skin tones and what outfits mm -hmm. go together because the colors mm -hmm. work. You just don't get it, and that's me. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just throw a pair of shorts on, and uh, black goes with everything, so we'll wear a black shirt. And <laughs> my my <laughs> wife messes with me all the time because she, if we go anywhere important, she has to pick my clothes out for me because I just I don't get the color <laughs> thing without some serious help. It's gotten better lately. But it it is a big deal for some people. Some of us just don't get it. It's like, yeah, purple will go with, uh, you know, blue, white, and pink. That'll look really good. But no, mm -hmm. it's, it's really ugly. Don't do that. <laughs> so really, really cool little little uh, tidbit of extra in that in that Kickstarter. So yeah, well, you make a very good point there because it is that um, that like you say, what colors go well together. Well, if you don't know, it's um, it's a difficult thing to look into a massive range of paints and go, uh, right, which one do I start with? Because you might have like, I don't know, eight reds or something. And which one do you pick? Uh, and this kind of, um, so you know, my, my job's always been about trying to address these barriers and go, well, pick one, that one. Okay, so what you then do is follow these sort of like then uh, sort of, uh, that's very formulaic, it depends on the complexity of the model, but. Kind of like if you know that if you hit it with a pick your choice of red, you start with that and then you do this, 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 and you're going to get a nice result. Um, that sort of thing just instills so much confidence. So even if you end up putting colors together that don't necessarily work, they are going to look nice. And then you'll learn over time what colors work well together. The good thing about something like Ice and Fire anyway is that um, as it's got its own law to it, um, if you're not sure what to go for, you can very much fall back on what the artwork shows you and what the heraldic designs show. Um, and then it's very easy to work out a scheme thing from it, um, which is also useful as well if you uh, if you know the rules of heraldry. Have you guys ever encountered this? Uh, personally, I don't I don't know the rules for heraldry. I do tend to kind of look it up sometimes to get ideas for colors that work together, but I don't mm. know the fundamentals behind it. There was somebody told me about four years ago to look at uh, like high school football teams and their mm -hmm. uniform colors to get ideas of colors that go well together. So mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see if that's similar to the heraldry. Well, it's, it's really simple. Um, and you can look at it in realistic medieval heraldry and you'll see it. Um, though with ice and fire, as I understand it, because it's fantasy, there are colors in that that weren't necessarily viable in real life so much like purples and things. But, but basically what you've got is... Um, 
out of all your colors, they break down into two camps where you've got colors and metals. Now, metal describes silver and gold, which in terms of fabric is white and yellow. And what you and basically colors are everything else. So you've got white and yellow and then everything else. And what you do is you stack them on top of each other. And if you do that, the heraldry then is bright and clear to see. And it's all designed to be clear to be seen at a distance. So like on a battlefield, you know who that knight is, right? So, for example, if you're going to paint something red, then you do your symbols on top of it in either white or yellow. So Lannister, red and gold, right? So red and yellow. Uh, you look at all the ice and fire heraldic schemes, they're all kind of like that, mostly. But if you design your own colour scheme, if you bear that in mind on stuff like this, with that medieval flair to it, then you won't go far wrong. Go ahead, Dave. It sounded, sounded like you had something to add to that, uh, a take from someone who's not, you know, <laughs> fashion blind. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would have to agree with uh, you, Brett. Um, I've been painting a long time, and it wasn't until, I'd say, Ice and Fire where I really developed a lot of my skills. Um, you know, I always try to take a lot of the easy way out, even in, a, you know, I think I've mentioned this once before, but Greyjoys are like my new love, and I had mm. totally went into painting them uh, with the mindset of just throw some contrast paints and make them look, you know, decent from far away. And they turned into this huge project. And now they're like the best minis I've ever painted in my life um, <laughs> with just so much more detail. But um, I think it, when it comes to painting uh, at a certain point, most of it just becomes patience. Um, mm. You know, you'll you'll develop the skills and the experience along the way, but at a certain point, it's really just patience and how long you want to be spending on a model. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I truly believe that none of the skills are these like uh, you know really difficult skills. There's just whether or not you know you have the proper uh, tools and you're you have the patience to you know sit there and get the detail that you are desiring, um, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of just differ is the, um, and I think it's one of the things you just kind of have to work up to. You can't jump into painting expecting to have all the patience in the world, especially when you just want your models done like now. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But that was kind of the biggest thing for me, you know, uh, just slowly developing patience to be able to sit down and spend a little extra time on a miniature whereas you know 10 years ago I'd have been like you're spending how much time on a single miniature I, I, I could never do that but mm -hmm. here I am you know spending way more time than I ever thought I would on a single single miniature but it is like I said it just comes down to uh, patience more than anything and anyone can be an amazing painter uh, it's just whether or not uh, you know, you have the time to put into certain uh, certain models. Absolutely, yeah. And you can always, um, a, a trap I've often seen people fall into is they start their first miniature and they get so into it that they end up spending hours painting it. And then it's like, oh, there you go. You've just painted your first, uh, I don't know, Greyjoy Raider. Brilliant. There you go, or your Reaver. There you are. It's taking you four hours 
Um, now it's time to start the second one. <laughs> so you've, got to, you've got to have a certain discipline about it. And if that's what you want to do, then, yeah, you go for it. Um, and there are people who do paint their armies like that. I find it's much more practical to try and limit yourself. I, I try to paint a miniature in an hour, and sometimes I get more carried away and end up spending like two. Um, but this way, um, I mean, even that's quite long, I think, by some standards. Um, it's just because I'm quite particular in how I do it. Um, but you can always come back to things. And that's what I did with my Lannister army back when I first got the core game. I was very um, disciplined about getting it all painted. And I periodically come back to it and do little adjustments and modifications and things or add a bit more detail to it. Um, like recently, I did a few head swaps to give some, a bit more character and individuality to some of the troopers. And I, I changed the lances on my knights to be like heavy looking lances rather than the kind of spears I've got. So a project's never finished until you say it's finished. You can always readdress things. So, yeah. Uh, discipline is a part of it, certainly, the willpower and discipline. Yeah, and one thing that helps me get through it is, uh, you know, especially because I'll buy, like, three starters for each faction, you know, and you mm -hmm. end up with, uh, you know, four, five, or six of a unit. I'll mm -hmm. I'll just bat batch paint uh, all the same um, pose. That mm -hmm. way, you know, and I'll, I won't go model to model to model. I'll go, okay one color on all of them, next color on all of them. And for, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that it might not work for everyone. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, you got to figure out what system helps you enjoy painting and able to maximize your productivity in painting. And for me, mm -hmm. uh, I've found that like assembly line painting style to be the easiest for me because for me, you know, once I finish a whole color on a, on, let's say a pose, or in this case, you know, basically a unit, because you know, when you have like three, four of a, a, of a unit, there's enough of one pose to make a whole tray. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a lot more, it's easier for me to look at it and go, okay, I, I made a dent. Whereas if I just did one model to the next model for me personally, I'd be like, man, I just, I have so much more still to do, even though technically you probably have about the same amount of time as the person doing the assembly line. Um, it just comes down to it, that mental barrier of uh, being able to complete your, your projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I will say, um, so one of the things I really like about this game in particular is that it does a really good job of making you feel like you have a really big army, but actually you only tend to have about 50 figures at most. Uh, you know, it's more for some of the armies like Free Folk, but 50 is like a good average, um, which is actually quite a small number for many war games. And if you want to play Targaryen, I mean, you can do an army that's got 20 figures in it, and there's some games of 20 figures or one unit. So um, if, you, if you're out there, if you've struggled to paint full armies, this game is one where it's much easier than most to get it done. Um, but you are right. It's a good idea to look for these um, easy wins so you feel like you're making progress, because if you end up... Um, grinding through and it's going really slowly then it's it's very difficult to keep that um, that willpower up to keep going on it you still there Brett yeah so I guess I guess the next question I had for you um, we we've, we've gotten a little bit into the Song of Ice and Fire and some of the hobby stuff. So I, I just want to kind of go back to this Kickstarter a little bit. Um, I think there's probably some people who maybe they're hearing this or they're starting to see some of the other people talking about it. Um, 
how will someone who missed the opportunity to back the Kickstarter, are they going to have an opportunity to get this paint line? Are they going to be released to like a, a retail or um, you guys going to have some type of online store or something like that? This is for, you know, the people who are hearing about it a little too late, but they still want to enjoy these paints. Um, the answer to that is yes. And to all of them. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the paints are actually being made by um, the whole process is being run by a company called Transatlantis Games, who are a new company, um, but they're run by people who have been around for a long time. So if you've played other games out there, you'll almost certainly have encountered people who are running Transatlantis before. But it's like a new entity they're doing, and we're just kind of like one of the first parts of that. Um, and their target is for the Kickstarters all to be um, to get their stuff in January. And then it's after that that they want things to be appearing in trade. So um, early next year, all going well, you'll see this paint starting to appear in hobby stores. Um, and I believe it's going to be all of them. And I think it's different sort of I, – I, I think it's still hammering out the actual details of how exactly all this is going to be displayed and stuff. But I believe it's like individuals right up to the full box of all 60. Now, as for us on our website, on the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy – um, we're hoping to introduce a store. We just need to make sure that we've got um, the ability to uh, man it because <laughs> we're a very small company. Uh, there's only uh, there's only three of us here doing it. So we need to make sure that um, whatever orders happen, we can uh, see it through. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, you'll um, you'll be able to get these paints early next year. And um, at the moment, they exist in a... Um, a form where I mean, it's been a long process developing them where we get sent samples from the chemists and then we I would use them and then give feedback and then they change the samples in another way even so so it's been quite a long process um, but now I do have a set of the final samples and I've started using them to paint army so you'll see me doing examples as to what they can do so yeah if any of you folks out there are interested in them um, early next year you'll be able to get your hands on them fantastic and uh I know you just said you're trying to work out some of the logistics uh, of kind of getting the company going, but just uh, another really quick question as far as that goes. Do you guys have plans to, you know, add to the line? I know there's there's a lot of paints here already, and there's probably plenty to do pretty much any painting project you would want to do. Um, are you looking to expand, add some more uh, triads, and uh, add some other color choices to it? Absolutely. Uh, yes, we've already been making notes and plans about what we want to add to the range. Once this first wave's out, we want to certainly do some more stuff. Um, for the initial 60, that was kind of our limit, and we wanted to make it so that if you wanted to, you could just get this one set of 60 and be able to use the range just about anything, which means that space in the range starts to become at a real premium to fit in all the things that we'll commonly do and all the color, you know, kind of colors that we want to use. Um, so... Uh, stage if you there are points where you would mix colors to get certain things um but going forward yeah there'll be more triads like so we want to um have a whole host of like other you know primary secondary kind of colors so like we want to have some bluish greens for example we want we'd like to have some more shades of red that sort of thing we want to introduce some more metallics we want to have loads of triads for different sorts of skin tones we want to you know really expand and give lots more options like this so what we've got here is kind of like the bedrock upon which we want to um, add more and more to it. It's yeah, it's it's really exciting to hear. Um, I know I'm chomping at the bit to get these to get these paints in. They look beautiful, 
And uh, I think one of my favorite things about it, which I guess is another question I can ask you, um, you're using the, the drip bottles. And mm-hmm. for me, I use a wet palette, so I absolutely love the, the drip bottles. They're so much easier to store. They seem to not dry out anywhere near as bad. I've got some paint pots. I'm by no means saying that they're bad, but I, they, they do have some problems of their own, you know, where the paint gets mm. into the seals and, and, and you start to have problems with that. I love the drip bottles. So was that, was that like a personal choice that you made? Like you said, you know, in terms of wet palette, I like the, the drip bottles. Uh, or was it something that you guys decided that the majority of, of painters want the drip bottles? How did you... How did you land on doing drip bottles? Um, well, when Transatlantis originally approached us, um, it was one part of the early conversation, and um, it kind of worked out very much that Roger and I would have a large say in what these things would look like, as you know, our, our brand is going to be on it, and then Transatlantis would take it and basically put it, all the bits together that we'd approved. And the question of bottles came along, and we were like, well, it could just be in those old style games workshop flip cap ones um, that. Uh, you know, like never, ever, ever see to dry out. I'm sure we could get some bottles like that. Um, but there was also a thought of, well, would it look really premium if you had glass bottles with a screw cap on it? Oh, that sounds quite interesting. So what we did was um, a poll for, on our website for the members on it. Like, oh, what's your favorite sort of bottle? And I'll tell you what, dropper bottles won by a staggering amount to the point of like 99.5% was dropper bottles. And so we were like, uh, People really like those. <laughs> so we were like, all right, forget all the other options, it's then. And that was like the first decision we always made about the whole range. Um, so, yeah, it, it, Roger really dove into going around looking for different sorts that you could get. And we eventually settled on these after trying many, many, many different samples. And, yeah, these are really nice ones. They've got a um, really nice lid to them. They're kind of, when they screw shut, you soon, as you get close to the bottom, you feel a slight bit of resistance, and that's because on the inside of the cap, there's kind of like a little plug poking out, so it really seals them as you close it tight. So um, they're, they're very exciting. I think they're going to have paints lasting for ages and ages. Um, I've been having great fun using them. I've been, um, I mean, just recently, I, I'm, I've picked a project that I want to paint 100% using these paints, and uh, so I've been getting a lot of use out of, you know, using all these bottles and stuff. For it. I've been having a great time. <laughs> Yeah, that that sounds really good. Um, yeah, I know. I think I think I've probably misused some of the the flip caps is why I have some of the problems that I have. But I think the dripper bottles are probably a little bit more forgiving. But that is an overwhelming amount of of votes for the drip bottles. So I guess I'm not I'm not standing alone in that regard. Um, <laughs> Dave, did you did you have anything else you wanted to add or ask um, as far as the Kickstarter goes? And then if everyone's fine with it, we can just kind of transition back into talking about uh, A Song of Ice and Fire because I know that Duncan attended the London GT, so I'm curious to hear from him on this show what that experience was like there. Um, yeah, uh, so with the goal pledged uh and then what you actually got how uh how uh, surprised were you with the number of backers and the the total um that you guys ended up uh getting 
Um, we were completely blown away. <laughs> um, we were confident that it would get uh, funded, um, but we had all the stretch goals going out. So I think it was about 400k, I think, or 450k. And we were like, oh, we might reach those. That'd be really nice if we got that. And then it, it started going. And um, we were aware of when the Kickstarter was going to launch. And so we were sat there around the computer um, in the studio. And um, we couldn't believe that the number kept going up as rapidly as it did. And then it was on 16 minutes. It passed its um, back uh, target. We were like, what's going on? And, you know, Roger and I, we were phoning our parents, like, you ought to take a look at this. And not, none of us could believe it. And it just kept going and going and going. When it went over a million dollars, we were just completely staggered by it. Um, yeah, we <laughs> it was, it, it's to think about it. It really is. Um, but I think it goes back to what I was saying at the start. It's a testament to um, the trust that people are willing to put into us. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it, it's quite an incredible thing. It was a feeling that I don't think I'll ever quite feel again um, of sort of this overwhelming uh, sense of trust being put in us. Um, and yeah, like goodwill, I suppose. We saw such nice messages and well wishes and things. Um, so I can't wait for people to get hold of them. They're, they're really, really cool. They're great paints. I've had so much fun using them. It's been really exciting working on them. Yeah, it's um, yeah. The whole thing's a surreal. Um, the latest weird chapter in the weird story of my life. I think is <laughs> how I could describe it. Um, I did have uh, another question, which was. Uh, is there any concerns that people had? I know there is a bunch in the comments of the Kickstarter. Are there any that come to mind that people had that you were able to answer there that you might be able to answer here for any that might might have any concerns? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, people are wondering why we hadn't sent out sets to review, and that's because they haven't been made yet. Um, so, um, so the Kickstarter is about literally funding the creation of the paint so all we had is a set of samples plus the back history of all the ones that have ultimately been like rejected because the paints have moved on from those points um so i believe the intent of, so it's transatlantic is running this sort of stuff so i believe the intent is to send it out to some people and to have a go so they can talk about them um but uh but yeah it's not it's not that we're being ignorant or anything about it it's just how kickstarter are intended to work <laughs> um, there was the thought of we could send out like little bottles of things but it would it was sort of a bit naff and it wasn't like um, they wouldn't have received the paints in the way that customers will receive the paints and so if we want people to review the product we want them to get that experience um, if they came along in these like really small bottles or something that were a bit naff then we just thought it would be it would sort of sour the whole experience so um yeah, so it's it, it'll happen. It's just the nature of the process of how Kickstarters work. Yeah, I, um, I had read through a lot of the comments as the Kickstarter was going on, and you know there was definitely a lot of concerns. But uh, I know uh, I forget which one of you had uh, commented, and you're able to kind of put all the concerns to rest, which I thought was really awesome about uh, about the Kickstarter. Uh, and it, it seemed to really put a lot of people's mind at ease and um, get them to uh, back the project. Hmm. Yeah, I think people will be happy with them. I think they will. Um, if people are used to my style of painting, and I mean, you can see the video where we paint their coats with them, you can see what they do. And we're going to be doing some more videos going forward where we bring some of them in. Um, 
we always want to offer what the alternatives are going to be. So you don't want to make our videos just so that you have to use our paints. We want to make it still open to everybody with whatever you've got. Um, but yeah, people will be seeing them being used, and I'm going to be showing examples of models I painted with them. So um, it's uh, it, it's very important to me to be completely honest about what the process is and you know how the paints look because my name's on them. And if it turns out I've been lying all this time, <laughs> oh, I don't think I'd be able to handle that. Uh, backlash very well. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm quite a sensitive soul, right? Uh, believe me, if uh, if I was putting out a product that's rubbish, I wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> yeah. All you, right. Uh, you I definitely. Go ahead, Britt. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say you've definitely got my vote of confidence. I mean, um. Uh, I was sold the minute that I that I heard you produced them, but yeah, I think it. At the end of the day, it comes down to you know a, a guy that's helped so many people and done all of these tutorials and and is obviously a very uh, reachable and and guy that you can really associate with. I, I can't imagine you know that anything that you put your brand on would be anything but amazing. So for me, it was a matter of oh, Duncan's doing his own paint line. Okay, I'm in. So that's. I'm sure there are a lot of people like that as well, but <laughs> I think it's um, it kind of comes down to core values that I hold. That if you're going to do something, you should try and do it as well as you can. Um, I, I want to um, leave the world better than you know how I came into it, I guess. Um, so I wouldn't want to do something like this and it's just rubbish, and I'm just doing it to make a quick buck. I think it's it it's better for everybody if it's done right, because then it becomes a stable product line, which is good for people to use, and everybody wins out of that. So, um, yeah, it's it's not just a quick thrown together, <laughs> like real work has gone into this. I've been working on this for, it's been about a year since all this began, to be honest with you, since the, the initial like, looking at it was, was done. I mean, I remember creating colors over Christmas. Um, during the holidays and things. And it, it's kind of been half a job at the same time as my regular job, which I think is, I, I saw some people were saying, you know, Duncan's not talking here so much. It's because I, I've got like a lot of work to do. It's easier to record a video, I suppose, which is what we did in the end. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been 1.5 jobs really for the last year. Um, so now it's kind of like our part is largely done and the formulas are all confirmed and stuff and it's sort of passed over. So now it's like, oh, I can... I can enjoy painting my hobby again. So I've not really played any games this year. Going to that um, that Ice and Fire event was the first time I played it since the tournament I went to the year before in October. So yeah, near a year since I played a war game. It was a weird thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could imagine a year of not playing Song of Ice and Fire. So that's <laughs> that's good on you. I can I can hardly go a week without playing a game you know um if i take if i take any break like that it's like yeah i took a week off so i'm ready to play four games today but um yeah that's really awesome man and it's got to be it's got to be such a relief for you to see this thing taking off the way that it did and it's i can't imagine the the feeling that you're probably feeling to see all of that hard work you know coming to fruition so Again, super happy for you. And as, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the like by far the most successful paint Kickstarter that's ever happened, right? Um, I, to be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> to 
I, I know it's done, it's done very well by comparison to like how the platform is in general. Um, but uh, that's kind of transatlantic. got the information about that sort of stuff. So I suppose I ought to ask them really. Um, I'm just glad it was successful. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So. <laughs> I was pre- I was pretty sure I saw on one of the advertisements that this is the most successful uh, paint Kickstarter that has ever happened, which. It's really no surprise you were fully funded in what 16 minutes so really 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 nice surreal man it really is <laughs> did you uh, uh do you have I, anything else to add or ask Dave? yeah just one more before we jump into like the 40k or 40k <laughs> the uh ice and fire part of it uh, about it i noticed in your um paint gallery in on the main page of it that you have a uh uh, Conquest Imperial Officer. Now, is that mm. uh, um, a game that uh, you play and or uh, like to paint up uh, miniatures for? Um, well, with that, I've, I've not played a game of it yet. I've just painted, painted a number of miniatures for it. Um, so Parabellum, the company that makes Conquest, um, got in touch with us a little while ago, um, basically asking for feedback on their kits because they were... They, um, they're quite an odd company in a way, to be honest with you. Um, they're very, uh, very, very, very open to feedback. And they were seeking feedback on what they could do with their kits to turn them into just better quality plastic kits. And they were like, oh, you've had experience in Games Workshop Studio. Could you give us your thoughts? And we were like, is that all you want? Because <laughs> normally <laughs> like, you know, a company would want like, us to do some content for them and stuff like that. And they're like, no, 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 just tell us what you think. And I'm like, all right. So they sent us a load of kits, and we're like, these are actually really nice. There were some of their more recent ones. So the Wadrun, so again, for those not familiar, it's their version of Orcs. And they're essentially, they've got a bit of an Amazonian tribe vibe going on about them, and they ride dinosaurs, the sort of feathered, colorful-looking dinosaurs and stuff. They're, they're very cool. Um, and they've got a lot of culture that they've developed behind it. So this was kind of a little door for us to start seeing more about Conquest. And then some of the members on the website asked us to do some content for it, so we started doing it. Um and so, yeah, I just started exploring it. And uh, I painted up some of the, um, I read some of the story of the Hundred Kingdoms faction and how they're kind of like a fallen empire that's sort of being squabbled over by these nobles. And I was like, I quite like the Imperial theme. So, yeah, I painted the Imperial officer. Um, and he was the first miniature painted completely with our paints. Um, and I also painted some Steel Legion, which we did a painting video for, who were like these great sword wielding guys. Um, and yeah, just sort of like learn more and more about it. But then I discovered that they've got on uh, in the future one of their factions, the city states. I really like um, ancient Greek stuff, like hoplite style warfare. And that faction is that. And I believe Parabellum's a Greek company, so it stands to reason that they have a faction like that. So I'm like, you know, at the moment I'm sort of dabbling with it, playing around with it a little bit. I'm very tempted by the big T-Rex that they just brought out for the Wadron. You know, I could do like a <laughs> First time I've done like an Orc-style army, that would be. But when those city-states appear, man, I'm going in for those. <laughs> yeah, the um, one of our uh, co-hosts, uh, Justin, on here, he's in close uh, contact with uh the Parabellum guys and does a lot of work for them uh, as far as like promoting and going to like uh, I think he was at Gen Con and uh, helped uh, demo and do a bunch of stuff there uh, so I, I felt uh, uh, compelled to bring it up because I also have a, a very sizable uh, Spire army 
uh, that I'll occasionally uh, pull out and play a game or two with Justin. But they're, you know, oddly enough, I I don't play it that much, but I I want to say it's like 90% painted. (laughs) Very good. Well done. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just... I hope um, it, it's good to see that you try to play it. I, I really want to see Conquest grow in things because Parabellum seems just like a really nice company. That I, I don't know if you've experienced this. They just seem really community focused. Um, they, they said to uh, they came out with this giant figure and we asked them for one for a painting video. And then they said, um, when do you plan on doing it? And we were like, oh, we, you know, next few months and stuff. And they were like, well, this is a limited production run. And we're thinking there's going to be another production run around about then. So you might want to wait till then because some of your website members might be disappointed that they can't get the model. We were like, that's an amazing like awareness of making sure the customer is had a nice experience following this all the way through. And yeah, we just found that to be remarkable. Oh yeah. And they yeah. do, uh, you know, the limited run models, which I think is awesome. Uh, they're a little pricey, but that's because they're limited run. I mean, when you only make so many, you know, the, uh, where you get it made, you know, charges you an arm and a leg. So mm-hmm. that's why it's kind of pricey, but I, mm-hmm. I bought the one for Spire and it's an awesome looking model. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely they're really them. nice display pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, if, all right. If you guys, so, if you if you guys want to do it before we before we kind of wrap up the show, I just looked. We're we're close to an hour. Um, did you wanna <laughs> Did you wanna tell us a little bit about London GT? I mean, it was a pretty big event, so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it was. Let's, a little, uh, <laughs> it was um, yeah, like I say, it's nearly first time in a year since I played the game. It was my first experience of the 2021 edition of the game as well. So I was reading my rule book the night before, printing out all my new cards. And all this <laughs> stuff. Um, so yeah, I had some great games. So if any of you guys are listening, a, a shout out to Simon, John, Liam, Jack, and Connor, the guys I played against. I had five fantastic games, and they were really, really cool. And I was very happy to get to play different factions in each game as well, which was kind of like my main hope for the experience, you know, just see what different factions are like. Um, and it was really exciting. Everyone was very chilled and friendly and chatty, and throughout the whole thing, you could see groups of people kind of congregating together, talking about stuff. Um, the organizers did a fantastic job running it and, uh, you know, making sure everyone knew where the tables were and fixing any problems and things like that. Um, so it was great to experience all the different um you know, different themes and ideas that people were coming through. Um, I had a fantastic game against uh, uh, my fourth game against Jack, um, against his Lannisters, and I also had Lannisters. So um, I had the choice between either a Jamie or a Tywin army. And my Jamie army is kind of like a standard starter build, which I was using just to get used to this edition. And um, he had Tywin. I can't remember who his second character was for his second army. Um, but he wanted to use Tywin, so I was like, all right, I'll use Jamie again. So we, you know, we had different characters against each other, father versus son. And um, it became the most uh, like weird mind game, game within a game experience that I've had in this, because both of us were trying to kind of bluff the other as to what our options were with what cards we had available. <laughs> so we were like trying to, you know, like dare each other to reveal a thing just in case you didn't have a counterclock, pretending you had one and you didn't and stuff. Um, whilst also being really cagey about triggering each other's Lannister supremacy and stuff. I had so much fun. It was great. It was really great. So, um, 
afterwards, I, uh, I immediately signed up to another tournament, which uh, for anyone's interested and wants to come along and fight me, it's called Always Winter. It's taking place in January. I think it's the 25th, 26th. Dr. Camp, uh, shout this out. Uh, 22nd, 23rd, that's what it is. It's in Stirling in Scotland, which is the most beautiful town you've ever seen. Uh, so come along and fight me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I could make the flight out there. Um, I absolutely love, you know, playing these in-person events. And uh, mm. it just really, yeah, like you said, I, I play digitally and... Uh, I know Dave isn't isn't as big of a fan of, of digital play, but I do play digitally, but I am so much more fond of playing in person. It's so much more fun mm-hmm. seeing mm-hmm. your opponent across from you. There's there's more opportunities for bad puns and uh you know, moments like that that just aren't quite the same on the digital yeah. scale. But um I'm really happy that you enjoyed it so much that you signed up for another event because I think uh the tournament scene from this game is just so fun. Um, mm-hmm. Every tournament I've ever been to in this, this community in general, everyone's just so, so friendly and so much fun. Uh, it mm-hmm. really, really makes it feel like a fun experience as opposed to, you know, a stressful experience of yeah, you know, going yeah. out there and, and playing. So it's been a pleasure so far. Yeah. Well, Cool Mini's um, prize support, too, for it was incredibly generous. They sent so much stuff that everybody walked away with a new box or something that hadn't been released yet. Um, no matter what happened, the way you finished or anything like that, everyone got a cool thing. Um, so everyone was left with a smile on their face. And, uh, yeah, just like some really great moments. I like you say, playing in person. There was um, – so my third game against Liam, he was playing as um, Baratheons. And he had a um, – he had Loras as his general. And Loris is in the unit of Rose Knights, and I had Jamie and his halberdiers fighting against these Rose Knights, and I just couldn't kill them. Um, but he kept sort of grinding me down, and we were both throwing more and more resources in to try and push this fight in our favour as I you know, try, try and keep going. And it was just like the way uh, I killed Jamie, that was it, with the duel. And I remember the tense moment when, uh, you know, Loris goes in there to do his, uh, his strikes, try and take him down. I'm like, oh, God, don't get that three or more. Please don't, please don't, please don't. Like, no, when he does it. Uh, and then he just to finish my halberdiers off through like the, the sort of Tyrell style auto wound kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, oh damn it! <laughs> it was really oh, yeah, that... he, he got so committed to killing this unit of halberdiers as well, and you could see he was so satisfied when he finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was just such a nice experience, and I met so many people there. I met some of the backers of the Kickstarter too. I met some members of our website and uh, in the tournament, in fact, there were there was three, I believe, and they all asked us to do a, a video on Unsullied, so we're going to do that in the in the coming weeks. Um, it, it was just a lovely experience, a really lovely experience, so I can't wait to go and do it again. Do you have anything you want to add, Dave? Or any, any questions for him about that London GT? Yeah. Um, so, was uh, was this GT was it your first uh, Ice and Fire event you had ever went to? Um, it wasn't. No, I've been. It was my third. So I'd been to one the previous October in Sterling. So it's the same one that I'm going to be going to in January. Um, and I've been one recently at my local gaming shop in Derby. So a shop called Bolton Swords, and that was a one day event. Um, 
And I found them all just to be really fun all the way through because I, I've experienced tournaments of, you know, over the years of a number of different games and things. Um, I think it's something about the nature of the way this game works. Um, I've found tournaments before to become very, um, very lots of pressure put on them and very sort of grainy in the how complex some rule sets are. Um, Ice and Fire seems to be a very playable game. You know, it's, it it feels quite light, but you can see as you're playing it, there's always options of things to do. So it's um, every single game I've played in all these events has been very engaging, which is unusual for me because I'm not remotely a competitive gamer. Um, but I I enjoy seeing the options and I enjoy how quickly it all plays out. So um, yeah, I think it. For anyone who knows me and the sort of games I like, I think it says quite a lot that I'm willing to invest so much time and effort into just playing this and in competitive spaces, <laughs> even if I do get thrashed most of the way through it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's just one of the amazing things about Ice and Fire is that, and I'm not going to name any games in particular, but there's so many games out there that are great games. They're awesome games, but they have so many like rules, and it's so complex in some areas that it just makes doing it uh, competitively, uh, you know, it's a headache because you know it, people after a long day, you know, you start to get into arguments about convoluted rules and you know all these different things that you can uh, have disagreements on. Whereas Ice and Fire, I mean. Uh, one of the smallest rule books out there that I know of and mm. a system that's just so easy to play that, I mean, the amount of things that you can even argue about is <laughs> is pretty mm. uh, far and few between. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, it might be... So with Call Mini or Not, the only other game of their brand I've played is the um, Cthulhu Death May Die, and that seems to have a few similar traits about it in that the core system of it's actually very simple but the moving pieces are all represented by cards so you've very clearly got certain extra rules that affect the game in play and that they're displayed in front of you and outside of those you don't really get any gray areas so ice and fire feels like it's got a similar thing in that the core system for it is really simple and you can get your head around it straight away right within a turn and then when you start adding your tactics cards suddenly you get all this extra layer of things that can happen um, so it, I, I really think it's, it's a beautifully designed game. It's um, really nicely done. And when you combine that with the, like the starter boxes, and these starter boxes are like my favorite products. <laughs> I think they, for what you get, <laughs> incredible value for a full army with all these options so you can play it in different ways, um, plus all the extra bits and pieces that you need to play the game. Um, I think... Uh, I keep talking, what, what game do you like the most? Well, it's probably this one because of all these these reasons. Um, I just think it's, it's uh, if someone's looking to get into wargaming, it's one of the most solid ones that you could possibly hope to have that's out there today. Oh, yeah, especially yeah, being I... able to just open the box and play immediately. Mm. Mm. I mean, uh, it, it's always awesome. Like, we'll, we'll just use 40K, for example. It was always awesome to have a new product come out, but it always kind of sucked when you you had like a, an event that day on release mm-hmm. day and mm-hmm. you know you'd buy it and you'd have those people go off into the corner somewhere and like speed build their model um, yeah but for this yeah. one <laughs> for this one you know you just open it up and then just start playing it you know it may not be painted or anything but it's still you know functional 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I've played many a game against armies that just aren't painted because the person's against the game, which is perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. But if you want to take that step and turn it into like fully painted armies and stuff, and you make the scenery 3D and everything. Now, I've set up games where I have put all 3D scenery down and everything, all, and all the models are painted. The table, rather than a mat, is like one of the classic grassy battlefields and stuff. And it does suddenly look like one of these high-end war games. So it really covers a massive breadth of different sort of games that can be played. Um, I'd love to have a go at doing a native campaign with it. I think it'd be really exciting to see that sort of thing set up where, you know, you have particular characters if they get killed, they're out. Um, you only have access to certain you know, NCUs at certain times and things. I think there could be something really fun made with that. So I hope Coolmany explore that in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great game. Definitely recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I've, I've played a uh, community-driven campaign. It was uh, hmm. a tale of growth and decay. It was put on by uh, one of the gentlemen from Germany, really solid community guy. It was really oh, yeah. fun, but uh, mm-hmm. I played I played Bolton's for that campaign just for fun. Mm. I was really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I lost... Uh, I lost Ramsey forever, and it was oh, it was no. bad. We <laughs> <laughs> got like, uh, play a Dothraki horde and just destroy everything. <laughs> I yeah, they the I think the Dothraki did really well in the campaign because it basically you started off with uh you know just your core starter, mm. and then you had to do certain things throughout the campaign to sort of buy your characters and. You only had so many points to buy certain things, so there was a point I had to choose between buying uh, another NCU because I had to start off with Walder and Peter Baelish, I believe, mm-hmm. and I really wanted Varys, but I had to spend my points on Bastards Girls, so mm-hmm. it was uh, it was really fun, you know, playing playing that that kind of narrative battle, and and then the guys that I played were pretty fluffy of course you know you're doing the the campaign for mm-hmm. stuff like that and they wrote some narrative battle reports for our games and it was a really nice read and the whole thing was really fun so i'm with you i hope they expand on it and and uh do something i know they had that pitched battle of whispering woods is that mm. still a thing dave mm-hmm. um I don't know if they took it off since they did the 2021 stuff. Um, but last I saw it, it should still be on there in the scenario section. But I'm yeah. sure, you know, with it, they have their hands full right now with the 2021 update, but I'm sure they have um, a bunch of scenarios kind of in the queue uh, that they're playtesting before they, you know, start uh, releasing those for us. Um, anyone that's done like pretty much any of the other CMON games, uh, board games and whatnot, knows that you know they they love to come out with you know special missions and things like that. You know, I I play a lot of Zombicide, and you know they have countless uh, fan-made uh, missions and just missions they release through CMON. Mm-hmm. So before we before we sort of let you go, Duncan, because I know you said you're you've been busy, and I don't know if today's an off day for you, but we don't want to keep you too long. But uh, tell us as far as a Song of Ice and Fire goes. Now I know you and I have spoken a little bit via PM, but uh, uh, do you have any plans to branch away from the Lannisters? Are you going to look into 
other factions? I know you've got Lannisters and Dothraki, but maybe there's another little sub-faction that you're working on? Well, I've also got uh, Targaryens and Starks all painted for an army, so I've got quite a few now. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> can't help myself. Yeah, I, I thought um, what I wanted to do was a new army that would entirely be painted using our new paints. Um, so I was thinking about different options, like, you know, and with ones that we've got, so I wanted it to be nice and bright, and there's lots of shine there and things like that. So the... Um, the obvious choice seemed like doing a Baratheon army, which I'd never done before. I've also never played against a Stannis army, so I thought I'd have a go at doing something like that. So, um, yeah, so that's my current thing. My goal, all going well, is I'll have it painted in time for January so I can take it along to the tournament so I can use it, you know, and see how it all goes then. Um, but I've decided to lean into the Rylor theme. So I've been painting some uh, Kingsmen because I, really, I had a box already and I, I really like them. And um, I've got some Lightbringers too, so I'm going to be painting all the fire on the ends of their arrows and things like that. And I've just been like sort of umming and ahhing about what else to have in the army. But at this stage, I'm thinking of some Queen's Men and some Lightbring, um, some uh, Faithful and stuff. And, you know, just trying out all these different Rylor units and seeing how it goes. I'm not sure how I'll vary it for my second option army list yet because I kind of... I keep there's certain things I already want, but they're already expensive, and I don't like having less than seven activations in my army. So, <laughs> so I'm agonising over choices. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's um, something fun and new to try. So that's what I've been working on, doing all these bright yellow tabards, and um, one of the coolest paints in the the, the range that we've got are the metallics and i don't know i couldn't tell you exactly how they've done it but there's some sort of newfangled chemical formulations that these chemists thought they, they said it was and i didn't understand a word of it like the individual words i got but in that order i didn't understand it and uh, they they they're so shiny and they cover so well so it's a real joy to be able to put so much metallic on these miniatures so yeah i'm having a great time with them i'm in a box just behind me i've been cleaning mold lines off them getting all them magnetized into my box so they're all nice and steady um so, yeah, so far, so good. I'll be posting pictures on my Instagram, so if anyone's interested in seeing that, um, Duncan J. Rhodes on Instagram, and uh, every now and then you'll see me posting some pictures of the latest thing I've painted for it. Yep, that's I'm gonna, awesome. I'm going to give uh, it a follow. <laughs> where else uh, can people, like, find your content or maybe even keep up with uh, the updates, maybe, you know, even though they might have missed out on the Kickstarter, you know, maybe mm -hmm. updates on, you know, when um, things might start to get uh, uh, into stores or uh, like, a, like a date or whatnot. Where can they find all that info at? Um, best thing to do. Um, so if you want to follow me, Instagram is probably the best thing, which is, again, Duncan J. Rhodes. Um, if you uh, want to see more of what we do, we have a website, which the address is DuncanRhodes.com. That's what I mean about saying earlier about my name being all over it. Very, it feels very weird. But anyway, <laughs> that's the main website where all the main news is. Um, and it's a membership-based website, which is just full of painting videos. And there's many Ice and Fire ones on there. I think there's over 150 videos by now. must be. So it covers all kinds of miniature painting things. So if you want to improve your painting, it's an ideal website for you. Um, for the actual paints themselves, they're being distributed by Transatlantis Games. So I believe it's transatlantisgames.com. Um, and they're, they're a new company, so they're still booting up. But you'll see the information starting to come out from them as regards to distribution to shops and things like that. And if anyone out there is a store and they're interested in having the paints in their store, Transatlantis are the people to contact. And if you go to the website, you'll see a thing you can sign up to where they'll send you information. So yeah, those are the places I would recommend. We are on Facebook as well. Um, it's Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. 
Awesome. All right, uh, Brett, uh, do you have any anything left uh, to mention before we close out? Um, no, I think we I think we covered the the questions that I had set to ask, and then it's just been really nice to sit and chat about the game. So we definitely want to get this uh, the websites and the Facebook and the Instagram and everything posted on Small Council Radio and uh, get that posted everywhere so people can follow along. But uh, no, I think it's just been it's just been really fun hearing from him. Uh, and then seeing how much fun he's having with this game, uh, it's really, really exciting to hear. Uh, I mm-hmm. Obviously, we all are here because we love this game, so it's always good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you guys, and um, quite nice to talk to you for real rather than just hearing you talk, I guess, <laughs> just listening to your podcast in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you, you listen. It's It's always nice to, you know, you know, know when someone's listening to the, you know, and that we're not just like talking into our own little echo chamber. <laughs> um, so, and it's it's awesome that you know, someone uh, like yourself that uh, is a bit more well known uh, on the grand scale of uh, you know, like mini wargaming, um, is into Ice and Fire. You know, because for a lot of people, Ice and Fire seems like one of those you know, niche games that, you know, doesn't get a lot of traction, but I think a lot of people just forget at how booming the game was before, you know, everything started happening all over the world. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, we're in that slow process of getting out of this rut, um, especially with the 2021 um, update stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's, it's going to, you know, start kind of steamrolling back into what it was uh, pre-2020. Uh, yeah, I think it will. I think it will. Because um, I've shown it to a lot of people, and every single time they've played the game and then come away from it saying, that's one of the best war games I've ever played. And, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, don't be distracted by color plastic or the big trays or anything like that. It genuinely is one of the best games out there, and it's definitely well worth your time. Yep, I agree. I mean, I still have at least one army for all of the other games that I played before Ice and Fire, just because, you know, mm. I still love all the other games that I've played, yeah. but Ice and Fire is just so awesome. I, I I collect every single army, and, you know, I just go, you know, kind of full tilt uh, with Ice and Fire just because of how well Simon has developed this game uh, in mm. pretty much, you know, every aspect. You know, not only the hobby side, uh, the competitive side, and the casual side. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. <laughs> All right. With that said, uh, we can kind of uh, close out the show with a couple shout-outs. Um, of course, we're going to shout-out uh, Duck and Rhodes and uh, the Two Thin Coats Paints uh, line. You know, keep, uh, keep an eye out for when those are coming. I can't wait to get my uh, small set uh, as well as the set that uh, we're going to break up into two groups and give away. Um, so keep, uh, you know, just listen in for that. Uh, not sure when. I uh, want, just want to do it closer to the day when we have it in hand. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, other shout-outs, uh, you know, just content creators in general. Um, 
just uh you know give them a like and uh you know let them know when uh when they're doing a good job you know a lot of content creators like to like to hear that you know it kind of gives them a boost um you know after doing so much content you know over and over sometimes you kind of get burnt out or worn out you know that that one comment uh here or there you know it kind of keeps them keeps them going um you know there's so many out there uh i mean there's even just for uh, ice and fire alone uh it takes forever just to even think of definitely go give them a, a listen or a view and uh you know some feedback how about you brett you have any uh any shout outs um nothing in particular at the moment um i know that marty's doing a dragonfall gt which is an adepticon primer do you know the date for that dave i think you said you're going right i might be going i should i should be going i just got back from the hurricane deployment um and now they're asking me to go back uh (laughs) so i might miss it but it is um on the 23rd of this month, uh, and so the 23rd of October and the 24th, it's at the Dragonfall Convention in, I want to say, Lake Geneva, uh, Wisconsin. Um, I always get a couple of those towns up there mixed up because there's like Genoa City, Lake Geneva, and uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Lake Geneva. There's the uh, the convention for Dragonfall, and uh, so you'll have to buy the weekend pass, uh, convention pass, and then the um, Ice and Fire uh, event ticket. But Marty is the one running it, and he's run so many awesome events. He's super generous. He's fully committed to, which is which is one of the best things ever when you have a TO who is. Uh, constantly walking around he's constantly asking you how you are he keeps so many different things in mind you know whether you know first round you know he tries to make sure that if you traveled with someone from far away that you don't face them round one um he just tries to make the pairings happen that way to where you know you're not going to start your day out across from your friend having to you know either win or lose you know set the tone that way um and he's he's really awesome with uh um price support and with uh just making sure everyone has an awesome time he's he's really good at delaying situations and uh just providing an amazing uh event um you know and he's willing to drive like forever away you know just to run the event for and from what i can tell for free I know he's he's gone to drove all the way to Indy to run a couple of those events and never asked for anything uh and he's just an awesome all-around guy. Uh so if you're even remotely in the area, I highly recommend going to it. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing tournament. Um and I might or might not be there. I find out actually tomorrow morning if I get sent back out um for the deployment. 
Uh, and then I, bel I don't think – I'm not sure if there's anything official, but on that note, um, I think Gamers Haven is possibly having another uh, big event on November 6th, uh, first Saturday in November. So keep an eye out for that one. If you haven't already joined uh, Sunday Slaughter's Discord, uh, you can probably go on there and then ask for some updates because uh, all the um, Gamer Haven guys are on that Discord uh, so we'll see about that one. And also, I'm as long as I don't get sent out again, I will be at that one as well. Um, I don't think there's any CMON support for that one, but whether or not I go, I'm going to be shipping a bunch of uh, prize support um, donated by Small Council Radio. Either I'll be bringing it with me or I'll ship it. Uh, I'll find a way to get it there. So if you're looking uh, for a little more incentive to go to that one, definitely uh, – uh, keep that one in mind. Um, but again, I would check, double, uh, double, triple check that that one is still is happening. I think they might have still been in the process of figuring it out. Uh, yeah. Uh, with that said, uh, Duncan, did you have any shout-outs that you wanted to do? Um, uh, not in particular, I guess. <laughs> um, a, a massive thank you to everyone who supported us over the years recently, back to the Kickstarter and everything. Um, it means more to myself and Roger than you could ever know. So thank you. Awesome. And I, I want to really thank you for coming on. Uh, this was an amazing episode. Definitely a nice uh, you know, mix uh, of topics uh, for everyone listening. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been great to chat to you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Brett, for being on uh, for this show. Um, you know, with that said, uh, thank you all for listening in. We appreciate all of you. Um, you know, consider, uh, you know, giving us a like on our Facebook page, you know, sharing out this show, all of our, you know, any, any of our shows, and uh, just spreading, uh, spreading word of mouth uh, about our show. Uh, with that said, this is Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed.